0: Hello and welcome to the Aaron Warner podcast on iCode Media. Uh, been looking forward to this conversation for a couple of months. Uh, we invited Scott to present to a business discussion group that we had uh, at Vision Source. It was the business of optometry meeting. And one of the unique things that we do at that meeting is we invite a uh, somebody we work with in the industry to come and talk to us about business stuff, not frames and contacts and and you know how to make a profit. Um, by selling this widget or that widget, but really just business ideas because we were having a a business meeting and I had a strong recommendation to have Scott come and we invited him and I was blown away by the discussion. So Scott, I appreciate you making time to come back and share your thoughts with us uh, uh, during the uh, the podcast today. If you're watching or listening to this, jump over to our YouTube channel and you can uh, see the slides that uh, Scott and I are talking about and talking through. Um, if you're listening to it on the podcast, you'll uh, get everything you need as well. Uh, but, Scott, before we jump in, give us a little bit of background. Introduce us to you.
1: Sure. Thanks, Aaron. Nice to see you. Happy New Year. Same to you. Nice to be invited back. Yeah, so I'm Scott Sennett, and I have been the president and CEO of Tura for I'm in my 13th year. Uh, hard as that is to believe. Doing that. Um, prior to this, I had a similar role. Uh, running a company called Oxford Apparel Group, which is obviously not in the eye care space, but um, similar kind of a wholesale uh, to retail, ultimately to consumer business. And before that, I was in the eyewear business for many, many years with a company called Lantis Eyewear, which was ultimately acquired by by FGX several years ago. So my whole career has been in eyewear, accessories, or or, um, fashion apparel.
0: Very cool. Well, I'm excited for uh, us to have a discussion on, uh, on what you shared with us before uh, at the the meeting. Um, and one of the reasons that we love bringing in uh, different folks within the industry and even outside the industry is a, a good friend of mine, Dr. Tan Mai out in Orange County once told me, Aaron, we don't do a good enough job of stealing. We need to steal ideas from other successful people, whether they're within the industry, outside the industry, we just need to, to share knowledge. And uh, instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, just take their ideas and learn how to apply them to make all of us better, um, which is, is one of the things I hope we do today. So let's jump into it.
1: Great. Well, yeah, this is fun for me, too. You know, I get asked to talk about a lot of very mundane things on a regular basis, frame board management, how to sell a second pair, brand merchandising, essential things. But
0: um, Well, that's not... not super
1: exciting, Scott. Well, it's sense. exciting <laughs> the first 400 times. <laughs> it, gets, it gets old after a while. So this was really interesting um, to think about learnings of my own in leadership roles over the years, and in a way, it forced me to reflect on lessons I've learned that I may not have really reflected on in a focused way. So yeah, it's really fun. Um, and I I'm not here talking about leadership because I'm a natural born expert in this category um or the world's leading authority it's really the fact that I've been doing it quite a while and I've learned the hard way like most people do by making mistakes trying not to repeat them mm-hmm. and you know learning you know, as best I can so hopefully I can I can share some of that
0: absolutely looking forward to it
1: yeah so I thought a lot about leadership and what I should talk about and I kept coming back to people. And really, if you think about businesses, no matter what they are, they're all about people first. I mean, products, very important, technology, science, new processes and ways of structuring businesses. These things are all critical as well. But really, businesses are collections of people doing business with other people. So as I started to think more deeply about that, a couple of specific themes really came to mind. The first one is challenging team members, which we'll talk about. And the second one is difficult conversations. So I'm going to frame this presentation discussion around three primary types of challenging behavior that I have perceived, experienced, and the type of conversations that, in my opinion, are necessary um, and can typically be effective. And they relate to um, problems with star performers. Second one would be people slash teammates that I call black boxers. And the third one is something I've named. The culture of blame and the problem dump. <laughs> so why don't I get into that a little bit? So let me start start this up by saying that in my experience, often the most challenging people in any organization are also its most talented, which mm-hmm. is a real pain um, as a manager or someone who has to be a teammate. I've found it's really common for star performers to be very hard to deal with with both for their manager and also the folks and the peers around them. They're often overly driven. Sometimes they're insensitive to other team members and that can take on lots of different forms. It can be very poor listening skills because they're in their own head. Lack of empathy because again, they're in their own head and a real selfishness and inability to share success, um, which is vital in any team-based organization. So that's easy to say conceptually. Let me kind of bring this down to ground level. and give you an example from my own career. So a number of years ago, I had a sales director. This is many, many years ago. I was young also. who had responsibility for our company's largest customer. And this particular sales director was our top producer of revenue and had been for a long time. He was also notoriously pushy, obnoxious, disorganized, and lazy about details and follow-up. He's the kind of person who felt like that kind of work was beneath him. He was the rainmaker and other people could clean up the mess. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, he was charming. He was really persistent, really good at closing sales, etc. But he just consistently left a trail of resentment and hurt feelings and just general emotional destruction <laughs> behind him. So you know for a while, I more or less let that go and I figured I could clean up behind him, I could make excuses. And I rationalized this by saying, oh, this is in the best interest of the business after all. Look at all this revenue, look at all the activity and potentially jobs this person's creating. And you know, I can be the counterbalance to all of this. Um, I thought I could compensate for it. We saw staff come and go, our support teams, our creative teams couldn't stand working with them. People left, I did my best, uh, tried to be a peacemaker, but what I really failed to recognize was that not only was this personality slash behavior a problem and destructive internally, it was a similar problem externally, despite all the success we were having with customers. His abrasive approach was the same, essentially under the surface as it was Internally, and I really didn't get that until I was really forced to get that. So I talked to him about these things, but I really did it, you know, only in the context of a formal annual review or whatever. I rarely dealt with his um, interpersonal shortcomings, let's say, in the moment as these things were happening, which, um, again, huge mistake. Mm-hmm. So finally, I uh, show up for a meeting with our single largest customer, and the head of this company asked me if I'd come a little early and have coffee before the meeting started and have a private meeting. So sure, of course I will. Uh, so I no sooner sat down than this person looked at me and said, look, you've got to get this guy off the account or people can't stand working with him. Um, And I mean, I was mortified. I didn't see this coming. I was embarrassed. I was scared to death because here was the president of our largest customer telling me that the person I had chosen to manage this business day to day was driving them nuts and they weren't going to have it anymore. I really should have seen it myself, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. So obviously we kept the customer and uh, took him off the business. Um, So. What's the lesson? The lesson is hard conversations are necessary. You can't put them off. I mean, they're called hard conversations for a reason. Most people aren't great at it. Doesn't really come naturally to most people. Uh, it's very easy to put them off and make excuses why it can wait. Um, but in my opinion, after hard earned experience and making mistakes like the ones I just described, as a leader, it's really important to give feedback, whether it's positive or negative on a regular basis. Don't wait and save up a list of things to talk to people about at predetermined intervals like an annual review or a mid-year checkpoint or whatever. Do it in the moment, do it on a regular basis, and treat the performance review kind of environment as a check in, not the time to drop the file on somebody. That's not the best way to do it. Um, Make it part of the normal business dialogue. But again, it's human nature, right, to put those things off and not do it. It's not easy, it's not fun. Scott I'm,
0: I jump in. I'm, I'm thinking of the situation because I I can picture it and I think everybody listening can picture that you know the their version of this situation. Do you think that you didn't address it as as this individual's leader um, because the successes were rolling in and and you thought you could just as you said maintain you could clean up the behind him but keep the successes or do you think in hindsight that you were avoiding having the hard conversations? And so you just let him be him to, yeah. to avoid having that. Uh, that topic. That's
1: a good, really, that's a good question. Um, I think the answer is part of it was confusion over the fact that this guy is really a jerk, but he's really successful. How do I reconcile these two things? Like uh-huh. maybe the fact that he's a jerk somehow contributes to his success. Like what's going on here? And I don't want to mess up this chemistry or whatever's going on, which uh, you know makes no sense in hindsight, but I think in thinking back on situations like this this situation and others like it, um, it's easy to overthink it and talk yourself out of it. So I guess my takeaway would be if you're thinking about these things and you're unable to reconcile why it's happening this way, something's wrong. Stop Mm -hmm. overthinking it. Something's definitely wrong. And the other thing is, um, it's just hard to sit down with a person and tell them they're behaving like a jerk, Mm -hmm. just person to person. That's just hard to do. It's one thing to say, um, you know, your math skills are bad. Or you need to go back and brush up and get recertified in X, Y, and Z skill. Or if you want to advance in this business, you're going to have to uh, whatever, add to your toolkit. It's another thing to address someone's personality and their interpersonal skills and how they interact with people because it's personal Mm -hmm. and um, it's not easy to, it can be done, um, but it's hard. So I think those two things caused me to really struggle with exactly how to deal with it.
0: Yeah, I I think that's been my experience too dealing with uh, with that type of individual. Right, it's it's not wanting to to invoke that confrontation. Um, right. Do you think this individual? Do you think he was aware that his personality was coming off as abrasive?
1: Um. No, not really. Uh, I think this person. Um, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but this is the type of person who was very, you know, deeply self-centered mm-hmm. and really not really aware of, uh, he just really kind of wanted what he wanted and didn't really care. Yep. Um, I don't think he w- really ever crossed his mind to be introspective in that way. Interesting. It's just, that's a personality type we've all seen, right? Some people oh, yeah. just, you know, they're all about themselves and, uh. Yeah. Anyway, interesting. I think you know. I. I think you know what. What's important to know is. That might be the case, but you also you can't change that. I've learned over time you don't change people's personalities. You can, try, and you can point things out and you can, but you don't, really ever change someone's fundamental, personality. All you can do is shine a bright light on bad behavior, and point out in very explicit terms what the consequences are or what the effect is of this behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really all you can do. And, you know, from a leadership point of view, if you don't do that, you lose respect from people. If you do do that, then I think people, A, respect the fact that you're doing the hard things, but also uh, understand that, um, you don't you don't want to confront the negative behavior, but as a leader, you have to do it. And uh, the unspoken message to the whole team is, you know, what everybody matters here. Um, everyone's got a different role, but and they'll appreciate you stepping up and, and playing that hard role.
0: Yep, I I hundred percent agree. And as someone who is very driven and uh, and had some some early success, maybe younger than normal. Um, I appreciated when I had leaders who had hard conversations with me and pulled me aside and said, Hey, you, you may not appreciate that, that in that meeting you came across in this way, um, but you came across in this way. And I don't mm-hmm. think that was your intent. Um, now they couldn't change me, but shining the light on, on, you know, potentially coming across as that jerk or coming across in, in a, uh, in, in a less than positive way, how that, negatively affected you know, my influence mm. and uh, and how my team members saw me and it it helped me to grow and change and that's uh, but...
1: that's interesting you know that's another dimension of it right it's you think about star performers sometimes people become stars early you get young over overachieving outperforming talented people who haven't matured enough socially and emotionally to handle the situation they're in. I hadn't really thought about that, but if I think about people that fall into this kind of star performer, difficult team member category, a lot of times they're young and they're really, they're really good, but they just don't know what they don't know. And they can be a bull in a China shop.
0: Oh, definitely. Which is where the hard conversations uh, I think are, are incredibly important. Um, and and challenging to start, but building a culture of, of having those conversations can help those young bull in a china shops you know right. mature into into what you want. So let's talk about how to do those
1: well let me um if I can mm-hmm. uh, we went on quite a while on that one. So we're we're talking about um, trying to confront bad behavior of all kinds. So these Star performer, prima donna types um, are one thing. The second type of people that need to be confronted with difficult conversations are people I call the black boxers. So these are people that hoard information. They hoard know-how. They even hoard relationships, business relationships. They lock things up, and put them in a box, and they do it really, uh, they do it out of fear. People think that they can keep secrets and special information because it's a form of job security. This is very, very common. Um, It's a leader's job to recognize that for what it is and just hit it head on. You just keep, you, you absolutely can't have that. If you find yourself in a situation where one person holds the keys to an important function or some important relationship or some other set of information that's important to the business, you have to confront it. Um, I won't go into, you know, all the history, but I've learned that the hard way as well. Um, the most dangerous folks like this are people who hijack your relationships mm-hmm. with either, you know, other stakeholders in the business. It could be, could be your patient base, could be customers, vendors, you know, could be whoever. They, they put themselves ahead of the organization and hold themselves apart um really in a way that serves themselves so um it's another situation where you have to deal with it in the moment um and at the point in time where the uh lack of sharing of critical information with other people becomes a problem confront it right then and there well why doesn't Joe know this also, or why haven't you taught your assistant how to do that or whatever uh, is the only way uh, you can't just deal with that issue and move on and pretend it didn't happen because it'll continue it will continue to happen because it reinforces this idea that oh they can't live without me. If I weren't here that that meeting never would have gone well. So my experience has been it's all about teams, you have to deploy teams of people. You have to deploy teams of people in every um, aspect of your business so that you don't uh, find yourself being held hostage. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the last uh, topic related to challenging people and difficult conversations is what I call the culture of blame and the problem dump. So. The way I think about this is when you realize that it's more important in some organizational setting to find somebody to blame or to find something to complain about than to actually figure out how to solve a problem, then you really have a problem. So I've learned a few I've learned a few things in this area. Um, as a leader, you, you can't be a complainer yourself. You have to be solution-oriented. People always parrot and mimic the behavior of, of leaders in their in their organization. You also, you don't want to be a fixer. You don't want to let people drop their problems at your feet. You're, you're their leader. You're not their fixer, you need to facilitate problem solving, not just do it yourself. Also, you need to be willing to listen. Um, as a leader, one key role is to be a sounding board for people that need to vent. I mean, everyone needs someone to talk to, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Everyone needs to express frustration. Um, and you know, oftentimes that's a leader's role is to sit and listen Um, To what people have to say, sometimes they're literally just blowing off steam and they'll often get better perspective once they've had a chance to just vent that steam. Other times it makes no sense at all. We all know. Other times you, you may learn something you didn't know before if you just let people talk. But no matter what the scenario is, I've always found it to be effective to make sure that everyone feels like they're being heard. And only the leader can really be the person that makes them feel heard, not their peers or their lunch buddies or whatever. Another key is to coach people to help themselves um, to develop possible solutions. You don't want to solve it for them. Funny little clip. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) It's a great movie. (laughs) Help me help you. (laughs)
0: How do you, how do you do that? That's a that's a, a easier said than done, right? Both that the you're not a fixer, you're a facilitator for for problem solving and and helping others help themselves. Because as most entrepreneurs, our whole, I mean, we're in the positions we're in because we made quick decisions and we just solved a problem to move to the next one, right? How do I then not become the problem solver?
1: I think you have to ask a lot of questions. You have to probe around and. Challenge people to think about what they have done to address the problem. Tell me, you know, for example, um, is this the first time this problem has occurred? Okay, when was the first time it occurred? How did you react to it? What did you try to fix the problem? And depending on the answer you get, it could be a whole range of things from nothing to whatever. Um, You right away set the tone of, Um, I'm not here to solve your problem. I'm here to coach you. Mm -hmm. That's a way to set the tone in that conversation where as opposed to um, here, I have this problem. These spreadsheets don't work or I I can't get these files to blah, blah, blah. Oh, here, give it to me. Here's that and just do it for them. That's setting the wrong tone because the next time they're going to come back and just do it again. It's like teaching a kid to tie a shoe. You you know, if you do it for them, they don't learn. It's very simple. So it's a matter of asking. And then through a conversation about what they've tried, make suggestions about other things. And normally, depending on what the problem is, sometimes it's just, you know, out of people's scope to be able to deal with it. But usually it's not. Usually it's just a matter of people don't want to do it. They feel time starved. And under pressure, and they just want you to make it go away. So you have to have the discipline to be able to say, okay, try this, try that, come back to me, and let's work through it together. I like that. Um so the other thing about this is uh it's a it's a a two-sided, I guess, equation in a way. You have to hold yourself accountable too, and you have to Um, you have to make sure as a leader that people understand where they fit in the process and where they can be accountable. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, what I'm saying is you want people to feel responsible for problem solving, Mm -hmm. things that are within their area of responsibility. Um, But you want to make sure that they understand what they can... to be accountable for, like you can't hold somebody accountable for solving problems that are so far out of the scope of their responsibility because mm-hmm. you just don't have any credibility. Does that make sense?
0: That makes a lot of sense. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. You have to make sure that you're you're setting these expectations. Well, tell me what you've done to help yourself here, and let me coach you through that in an area where they actually have access to the resources they need, the people they need, et cetera, to make that happen.
0: Okay. So if I'm going to take that idea in, in a apply it just into the practice. My opticians are, are fully expected to solve problems in the optical, right? But if it's a contact lens related problem, then their expectation is to transition the, the, the issue over to my contact lens team. They need to convey all the, infor- all the necessary information. They need to do a proper handoff to that team so that that team can then solve the problem. So you, you work, work within you? this space. What's that?
1: How, how does that work for you? Do you? Does that generally work smoothly or?
0: Um, it does now. Uh, I got really tired of, of fixing all the problems and I quickly learned when I bought into my dad's practice and started managing that the minute I solved one problems, every other problem showed up on my, at my feet because they all wanted me to do it. And it's, it's scary uh, as an employee being the person that makes a decision because then you own the accountability. Um, right. We all want, you know, the, the freedoms but we don't like the responsibility and, and accountability that come with them so what i started doing was just asking what are you going to do about it and even if the answer that they came up with wasn't the best answer i made them follow through and then we talked about it after the fact um so now we it's it's a running joke when we hire a new person the rest of the team pulls them aside and says don't ask them what you what to do because you'll get stuck into a uh a back and forth question with him and he's never going to tell you anyway. So just <laughs> figure something out and do it. And um right. but what I've learned is that when you get people to to be okay uh in solving the in, in solving problems that they come they come up with, they come up with uh the answers and solutions that are way better than what I would have and way outside of what I thought. And yeah. so we progress yeah. a whole lot more as a company because they're adding their you know, perspective and their insights. It's not just what would Aaron do. It's what would what would you do?
1: Yeah, there's a sense of of, of ownership that comes mm-hmm. along with that, right? That's yep. that's perfect. That's so great.
0: It wasn't easy to get to, and it still isn't <laughs> easy to maintain. <laughs> no, no. But uh, uh, but it, it makes a huge difference. And then they've learned to to talk to each other, and they've learned to hold each other accountable.
1: Great, excellent.
0: In the past. Our focus revolved around prescribing MacuHealth or MacuHealth Plus to patients at risk of macular degeneration, while also recommending it to collegiate and professional athletes for enhanced contrast sensitivity and sports performance. However, this year's introduction of the Life Meter has been a game changer. The Life Meter revealed a concerning truth. Many of my patients have alarmingly low skin carotenoid levels, indicating potential deficiencies in essential body tissues like the retina and brain. Supported by over 30 peer-reviewed publications, Life Meter's accuracy, consistency, and effectiveness has been demonstrated across 2,000 subjects with diverse backgrounds. With this newfound insight, I can now have meaningful conversations about carotenoid levels with all of my patients, even those who may seem outwardly healthy. To learn more about this empowering technology, Feel free to contact your MacU Health representative or click on the link in the show notes. Together, let's optimize patient care and elevate their well being. Cool. I so, I've, I've got a couple questions, and I, I love that Tom Cruise helped me help you. That's such a great movie. <laughs> yeah. So, you, I, we talked about the really those three different um, uh, challenging teammates and team members that we have the, the star performer, but um, we talked a lot about that. And then the black boxes and the the culture of blame talk to me how you you deal with the black boxes because to me those are the the hardest and the most toxic employees that i've had to deal with i Mm -hmm. i I feel like i can kind of work with the others um and develop them um it to our point earlier sometimes they're just you know raw unkept talent um yeah but the black boxes are tough
1: yeah I agree with you, they are tough. I have found um, more often than not, people like that tend to work in more technical areas. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes the rest of the team's okay with it because they don't wanna deal with that stuff really. There are topics, could be IT, could be things in that general area of, of any business. That people are intimidated by, so they're happy to let someone else handle it Mm -hmm. makes it really, really hard. Um, In my experience, the the only way to do it is to set up um, a formal kind of um, how do I describe this? Uh, Responsibility sharing team situation where people's responsibilities overlap Mm -hmm. you know if you think about you know my responsibilities are in this circle and your responsibilities are in this circle you can put them together in kind of an overlapping venn diagram in a way and the places where they intersect talk to people about okay we need a team to deal with this intersection of issues and it could be you know where do could be in the area of insurance claims or you know something technical and really mm-hmm. detail-oriented that a lot of people don't want to deal with. Um, and to do it in the context of, we need to have business redundancies built in and fail-safes. So there's a cross-training expectation that goes on. So I have found it's more difficult to crack those nuts directly one-on-one with people Mm than to set up formal processes for redundancy in a number of areas, not just the one you're focused on. Even though the one that you're focused on with the black boxer in it is really the problem, do Mm -hmm. a few of them so you're not singling them out. This one, that one, and the other one. So we're all cross-training and learning from each other. And then as people's behavior begins to be non-cooperative with that, then you call them out. You have to call them out specifically yeah. and say, hey, look, this is how we're doing this. This is what I need you to do in this situation. I mean, it's, it's easy to say. It's hard to do. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, no, But, but I like that because you're, you're not focusing on I'm one person
0: it. and you're building a culture yeah. of, of uh, you're really systemizing the, the business. You and try not uh, to make
1: them like the one example of something. You just no. want to make it one of a few. So yeah. they're all being treated somewhat the same, even though the target really is this particular area.
0: Is that one person? Yeah, yeah. No, I see that. We tried to to use the analogy of understudies, and um, so yeah. you've got your star performer. But hey, what happens if uh, you know you die or you win the lottery? Because either way, you're not here tomorrow. Right. And <laughs> yeah. so, so who's the understudy that's going to be able to yeah. to to not be you, but be able to help the business? Um, you know, keep going and, uh, and whatnot, but that's, uh, we've, we've, I think we've all learned that the hard way. We used to think that uh, we brought in a dry ice, we would Lipaflow a flow. And I thought we were, you know, the, the cat's meow and, uh, realized we didn't have a good system. We had a Mary, that's not her real name, but we had, we had a Mary and Mary uh-huh. was awesome, but uh-huh. Mary decided her commute was too long, got another job. And we went from doing, you know, record number of treatments, uh, cash pay treatments a month to nothing. And uh, because we didn't have our, our right. understudy, we didn't, you know, have Mary uh, try to teach others. So we took that as a springboard to make sure every yeah. system in the office had had somebody else who could do it.
1: You know, if you can if you can pull it off, it's always effective to try to redefine people like that, redefine their roles in a way where you want them to officially be a mentor mm-hmm. and recognize them as a mentor, which is rewarding for that person, which they probably deserve based on their skills and their abilities, but also to set a new expectation that we don't just want you to do X, Y, and Z. Part of our expectation is for you to groom and mentor and reward them for it as well. Don't just yep. change the expectation and not change the rewards, but you know, in a way people can see that as an elevated role as well, yep. which can be a win-win, but it has to be the right person.
0: Oh, definitely. The right person with the right leadership. Yep. Let's hit your last one the culture of blame. And my guess, uh, you said you've been doing this for a day or two, is that it's not these dang, you know, Gen Z kids that are coming out now. And it wasn't the darn millennials before them. It's it's a constant, you know, somebody else's fault that I'm not being successful or we're not being successful. How do you approach a, a culture of blame within your team? To recognize where the true challenges are, but get past the blaming and get on to, you know, making things better.
1: The most important thing, in my my opinion, is to set the right example. In all organizations, the core values and the way people think about what's expected starts with the tone that is set at the top. It could be anything. It could be a sports team. It could be a business. It could be a Mm -hmm. school you know, could be anything. Um, So I think if as a leader, you model those behaviors where I'm not going to complain, I'm not going to blame external forces, I'm not going to say, oh, uh, you know, we can't achieve our margin goals because manufacturing costs have escalated because of supply chain issues and blah. Because that sets a tone like you're a victim of the environment. Mm-hmm. Can't be a victim. Nope. You have to acknowledge the challenges, but the way to set the right tone is to say, "Wow, this really, this is a problem. <laughs> Shipping costs are up two x or whatever, and labor costs and this, that, and the other country or it, all the you know myriad issues that that can come up." Um, to talk about them openly, mm-hmm. but talk about them in the context of, okay, what can we control that can help us to counteract these negative impacts on our organization, or business, whatever, whatever it happens to be, rather than constantly look for sitting in a meeting, reviewing results and saying, well, you know, if it hadn't been for the increase in shipping costs, we would have made this number. Or if it hadn't been for, because then what you're doing is you're making excuses yep. and you're bl- What you want to do instead is say, well, the challenge is this. And we've done this to try to offset that challenge. And it's not quite good enough. So we're going to try two or three other things. Yep. And just by simply doing that and talking about the solutions and not the fact that you're a victim of certain external forces in an unspoken way sets the expectation that I want you to behave that way also. Yeah.
0: It's also very empowering when you yeah. when there's something yeah. you can control as about as opposed to having something being done to you.
1: Yeah, true enough. Uh, I agree. I,
0: I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but listening to you talking about what you can control, you know, you, you can't control the external factors. You can't control the, the rules of the game, but you can play within the rules.
1: And it doesn't help to complain about them.
0: You no, no, definitely them not.
1: You have to sort through them and you have to explore and discuss them, but yep. never complain.
0: Nope. Very cool. I like that. Super helpful. And I, I pictured each one of these uh, these individuals at one point in time or another on my team. I think, you know, knock on wood, my team is uh, is rock stars right now. I'm and, sure they are. Uh, and the one um, well, part of it is, I think it's because we've I've learned the hard way, and I've had uh, mentors that I've bounced ideas off of that also learned the hard way, and I tried not to to uh, to duplicate their mistakes. Right. Um, but building that culture of accountability, and uh, and I agree with you it it definitely starts at the top because I can see when I'm having a bad day, the rest of my team quickly has a bad day too. Yeah.
1: Right. That's true. That's yeah. true.
0: So. Awesome. Scott, well, thank you very much for uh, speaking to us uh, at the, uh, the business optometry meeting and then for jumping back on to join and share this, uh, this discussion here. Super insightful, very helpful.
1: Of course. My pleasure. Anytime.
0: Awesome. And uh, we'll put your contact information in the, uh, uh, in the show notes uh, if anybody wants to, to get a hold of you. Um, appreciate all you do for, for us and being a part of the industry. It's a great industry to be a part of and for sharing your, uh, your thoughts on leadership today. Thank you so much. We're really excited to invite you to join the Aaron Werner podcast on iCode Media's first live book club, where we review the book, Buy Back Your Time by Dan Martell. Drs. Brianna Rue, Kyle Cludy, and myself are super excited to share our thoughts with you. We want you to join, share your thoughts with us, ask questions all live on Wednesday, February 21st at 4 p.m. Central Time. In the show notes of this episode there's a link to order the book there's also a link to join our book club live on wednesday february 21st at 4 p.m central look forward to seeing you there